0: Show with me, Stephen Dobson, and him, Tim Patton. Today we discuss what is economic growth, what causes it, and why should we care. The idea for this episode came from uh, I was looking at an Austrian economics um, Facebook group, and someone posted this meme, which was, um, "What is the Austrian economics alternative to stimulus?" Now. The idea it would seem to be behind this question is, oh, we need stimulus, we need government stimulus, to get the economy growing, and the whole point here is we must grow. And then the thing is, well, what does it mean to grow? Well, it means we must get GDP growth, you know, real GDP growth. I'll get into distinction that in a second, and that's what we want. But then the question is, well, what does it even mean, and why should anyone care about that? I mean, so for instance. In 2020, uh, the UK suffered her biggest recession on record. Oh, sorry, sorry. Biggest recession since 1709. And the economy contracted, the GDP contracted by 9.9 percent. This is the biggest one since the great frost of 1709. But then the question is, well, what is it really? And what is it a proxy for? And why should anyone take any? take account of this at all i mean it comes to me in general political discussions as well it's like who is good for the economy and what's good for the economy is growth and it's like well what is Although to be fair that can be unemployment as well but it's like growth so so i think the uh, stuff underlying G, uh, gdp and real gdp is interesting so what is gdp so gdp Down to a gross domestic product. All it is is the total amount of spending on final goods and services produced within a year within a particular geographical board. It's basically total spending on final goods. It doesn't take into account intermediate spending. So if you were to produce a car, firms in in the supply chain would have sort of like paid them people to mine it and they'd be transported and be paid and be sold to other company would, would have manufactured the steel, which had then gone to the car manufacturer. So in the intermediate immediate steps, that's all discounted. All they look for is the final goods and services, because the idea is it's the value of total output. And if you to add them multiple times, you would get, uh, you would be double counting. Now, there may be reasons to measure that. Uh, Mark Skousen advocates it as a good way of testing. Uh, well, looking at the effect on like the business cycle, it's something called gross output, which includes all spending. But the GDP is just total spending on final goods and services. Now, when looking at growth, no one ever uses just GDP figures, because the problem with that is if you just spend more money, GDP goes up. And no, not even the most crazed event is going to say that Zimbabwe in the late 2000s got richer when they started producing the hundred trillion dollar note. So what you need to do here, and this is, again, a tricky thing, is when you're looking at uh, GDP growth to convert into real GDP. So an increase in the real value of the economy, you've got to take out the um, the inflation rate so if you do um, gdp growth minus the inflation rate you get the real gdp growth which is supposed to then represent the uh, the genuine increase in the value of goods and services within a geographical area within a, sp- a specified time period normally a year okay so that i think is a very fair summary of what real gdp is and what real gdp growth effectively is so Okay, so, so far, so good. So what? To quote uh, Megadeth. So what are the problems we've got with GDP? Well, lots. So an interesting case here, I think, is um, the Second World War in the US when it comes to GDP. Many economists will go, oh, yes, the Second World War is what got America out of the Great Depression and war spending was good. Now, this is somewhat counterintuitive. Especially when you actually look at the uh, GDP figures in the U.S., you actually see that the U.S. had a massive uh, recession in 1946 after the end of the war. But to my knowledge, nobody in history or newspapers or whatever were going, ah, you know what, we're poorer in 1946 than we were in 1945. So something strange is going on here. And what you will see if you look at the figures is essentially during the uh, Second World War, the government contribution to GDP rocketed whilst the private sector spending collapsed. So uh, and then what happened in 1946 was that private contribution to GDP rocketed and the government spending decreased. But the government spending decreased so much it actually basically caused a recession. But the privately uh, produced uh, GDP was much higher so actually in the post second world war period in 46 in reality people were better off why because they could buy things that they actually wanted to buy like shoes food clothing that kind of stuff uh, and they weren't making as many bombs which made people unsurprisingly somewhat better off so you've got to take into account who's producing the the gdp because government spending counts as part of GDP. So this is why, for instance, Rothbard suggests uh, basically getting rid of um, government spending entirely. So he suggests that uh, you can take out uh, government spending to produce uh, net national product. And then he uh, says we need to get rid of uh, the depredations of um, government spending. So purchases of, of Uh, from business by government, purchases from business by government, enterprises and transfer payments, they're like welfare payments. And if we got rid of those as well, um, so previously with the private, uh, sorry, with the net national product, we'll get rid of um, incomes generated uh, in the public sector. So that would go out first of like uh, people like teachers or civil servants and stuff. And then welfare payments would go out in the uh second order of the calculation so um purchase of business by governments um purchases from businesses by government enterprises and transfer permits and this is from power and market and then then you leave with um private product remaining and that's what Rothbard thinks is a much better measure than say uh GDP now as to precisely the way that is taken off is, is irrelevant but the main thing here is Rothbard's claim is that the government isn't making things better. It's going to make things worse. So You're going to get rid of it. Now, given what I've said about 1945 or six, this seems to be something relatively reasonable to do. The problem is, despite well, the problem is, is whilst the government spends on stuff which is bad, it also spends on stuff which is kind of good. So, I mean, for instance, in the UK, the NHS is pretty rubbish. But I mean, it does provide some benefit. Uh, to people, even though, you know, you could say that the, certainly the costs outweigh the benefits, you could certainly make that kind of claim. But it, it's not entirely without um, uh, benefit. Same way with government spending on transport infrastructure. Um, now, I'm not defending that. Uh, I'm I, I somewhat sympathetic to Kevin Carson on that. But some stuff that the government spends on things, they spend on things that people, if they had lower taxes, would spend on themselves. Um, and so, Trying just to get rid of, um, of government spending per se is somewhat tricky because you'd have to make a distinction between things that the government shouldn't do or spend on at all, ever, or the areas which would be spent on by the private sector and um, would sort of generate some actual increase in benefit uh, to, to the population. So that's tricky. Other problems um, with uh, GDP is um, it it doesn't matter what you spend on. So, for example, if crime goes up and you decide to spend, you save less because it's you need the money to spend on uh, securing your home. Well, that means that GDP goes up because you're spending more, which is kind of somewhat counterintuitive as to if if you're going to use a real GDP as a measure of kind of wealth or how uh, rich a society is um So that's definitely a problem. Um, when again, when you're looking at real GDP, you're taking into account inflation. Then again, you get the problems of calculating uh inflation and what and whether or not that's actually a meaningful thing to do. For one thing, uh, one argument I've come across in the past is that nominal GDP, not taking out inflation, is actually just a, a good way of measuring inflation because what you're doing is you're just measuring how much additional spending there is on final goods and services, and Unless they were dissaving, that's basically going to come from new money, uh, assuming, again, the speed of their spending is the same as well. So taking into account what the genuine inflation measure is to calculate real GDP is going to be a problem. Uh, I mean, the shadow stats guy says inflation is massively underestimated. I think it is, but I don't think maybe as, as far as he is. But obviously, that's going to make a big difference as to what the real GDP figure is going to be. Um, and then a big one as well. Uh, is you could argue that the growth rates in the West from, say, the late 60s, 1970s onwards is uh, significantly higher than it should be because it's now counting economic output, which it previously didn't. Now, what am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about work of women. Now, if women previously were unwaged and basically worked for nothing for their husbands and provided domestic services, Uh, cleaning cooking etc um household management that kind of thing um that wouldn't go down in um in gdp i mean obviously the husband's income which was spent would but there'd be no sort of like additional spending for uh her sort of income now in the case of uh, her now working for a uh, a boss in a corporation, she now gets an income, is now has that spending on on her, which of course is going to be greater than if she was sort of unwaged, which then means that um, the GDP figures are now higher than you otherwise would. So then the extent to which you know, is the GDP figures now comparable with the historic ones because you're you're now able to count something you previously didn't count. I mean to make this more plain, if a woman looks after her own kids um that doesn't go to gdp but she if two women pay each other to look after each other's kids then gdp goes up by loads because of an increase in spending now this is kind of weird um so the the gdp as a as a measure of wealth or the value of output is a problem oh and that's another another thing to to raise as well is when you're looking at GDP, I mean, a lot of GDP in the West is created by the financial sector, and then the question is, well, to what extent does the financial sector actually produce genuine value? I mean, is it just a whole inflationary um, enterprise via Cantillon effects, just helps the West at the expense of the mm-hmm. third world, um, and is it is it literally just lit- making money and not providing um, sort of credit to the real economy, produce actual goods and services people want? So you've got like the um interventionist uh, aspects of that's altered the cons- constellation of production from the private sector so well that's all that is to say is the current economic order is a very is a great mishmash of a whole different things and so then using a singular measure to try and calculate value is somewhat difficult so tim i have rambled on long enough uh at the beginning um any comments uh on anything i've said with respect to Government problems with uh, interference with GDP, um, unwaged activities, um, the financialization of the West, and then producing things of little value, etc. Hit with anything you, you you deem fit.
1: Very interesting and very nice and eloquent start there. Uh, uh, there uh, definitely uh, we did an ep- episode, experts. And I think that was a very expertly de- delivered uh, a, uh, a start there. Uh, my first question for you is somewhat. Uh, well, I'll start with I totally agree. With, I totally agree with the weird quirk that you know charity and you know raising, have, like homeschooling or those things don't count. But if you to they pay, they, all of a sudden the GDP will go up. This is also a taxable item as well. You can tax it. Um, um, you know so it's like you send your kids to a private school that will get taxed or and of course the public schools will get you know that'll just be included in the gdp as well so that's that's that that, that actually makes the um tyler Cowan's point in the great stagnation actually possibly even more um um uh, thicker or stronger so to speak which is one of my one of my favorite books i a lot of listeners probably don't like Tyler Cowher. I, I, I agree there's certain aspects you probably shouldn't like about him, but I do think that that's one of the more interesting ideas. Um, and he, he, I think he made the claim that like, you know, 1870 to 1914 – I forget the exact years he picked – were probably more transformative in, uh, in terms of innovation inventions than any other period in history, uh, which is not that surprise. I think the gold bugs would probably – give two cheers to that and actually if you look at the inventions delivered in those time periods uh, you know you, got, you basically invented the airplane the steam and all, all sorts of major inventions here I would say though to be fair to the statists here which the statists would never be fair to us you could argue that war is a form of international crime uh now what you could argue the state does it and the state itself is the gang but uh, you know the you know the FDR and Churchill and you know the, the Japanese or just all, gangs and they're just forcing them to spend more money on locks and um um which the locks are just battleships and tommy guns are just um you know airplanes um um so there is there is that weird quirk there so i guess i guess the better number would be like standard of living uh, which countries have the best standard of living I, I guess that would be what they should really try to measure the fact that you have to put this sort of Orwellian phrase, real GDP, already leads to the problem. you should make one suspicious. You know, it's like collateral damage once you get to, you know, or, or calling something an illegal occupation. So yeah, the fact you put real in front of GDP already probably leads to, to some suspicious points there. Um, um, so I guess standard of living would probably be the best thing. And I've traveled a fair amount, and I would say that, like, you know, Hong Kong, Taiwan, New York – uh uh Italy, United States there's fluctuations in regional variety, diversity, but I would say that these societies are more or less equal in terms of quote unquote unquote standard of living um now you could get you could get into the weeds of this and of course um but but in terms of standard of living there, there are clearly poorer countries in terms of economic, a financial output. Um, I do think some number would be would tried to be measured here, uh, uh, just for investment purposes. Uh, you want to know, like, you know, what is the capacity of a local area for economic means? I don't think the state would be the only person to, or not organization to to try to do that. Um, um, so I'm going to make an I'm going to toss it back to you. But one of the things that it's interesting is. The MNTRs, I, I guess the, the historical precedents in the United States for the MNTRs are probably the Whigs. The Whigs were the big advocates of internal improvement projects, and Lincoln was a par excellence. You know, Henry Clay um, was a Whig. Lincoln was a Whig. And the Whigs wanted to build dams. They wanted to build railroads. They wanted to build all sorts of things. And there was an interesting article I once read that said that the Transcontinental Railroad in the United States was an economic failure in the short and medium term long term it might have been a success, but in the short and medium term um you know it took put out the uh, they had it put out like uh sailing services and it also put out it also sort of made uh trade boots longer um so now it was probably done for military reasons as well, linking California to new york and washington um um but there's all but i do think. It had, did produce the, the roads and railways and airports the government builds, and the education and the healthcare does produce some value. So I, I would push back that on Rothbard there. Um, but overall, I'd say you're you start very very interesting here. And but I would say the standard of living of a lot of places, you know, economists might say the U.S. is more richer. I think that is somewhat phony baloney. I mean, I I, I, I don't think I don't think France is a poorer country significantly poorer than the united states for example which gdp numbers real gdp numbers would suggest that i'll pass it back to you, with
0: yeah with the uh, real gdp numbers i mean the when it comes to standard of living measure you might use real gdp per capita uh, so just like basically average incomes which is a perfectly reasonable way of sort of measuring uh, income but again you have the problem of unwaged a- activity um, not um, being taken into account there and then there's always the problem of well it depends how many your real GDP per capita could be higher but then the environment in which you live could be worse your life expectancy could be worse in principle um, and, um, and you could be work more you could be working more hours and so that of leisure that you have is lower so I think you're right. I mean, what people are really trying to measure when they're looking at real GDP, uh, to a large extent, is standard of living. But the problem is standard of living is a significantly more um, subjective concept than real GDP is. And as a side, I think this is what ends up happening with a lot of um, calculations of figures, is there's actually a normative idea behind it that they want to capture, but they can't get away with saying, well, we're kind of just going for a we've got this normative idea and we're going to try and measure where we stand up to it. They have to put it in some sort of pseudo-scientific way. I mean, the same thing happens with like uh, unemployment. I mean, this is a bit of a deviation, but um, unemployment is defined essentially as people who are currently searching for work and can't find a job. Now, if you're somebody who, for whatever reason, can't bother to look for a job, then you're not considered unemployed. You go in what's called the economic inactivity figures. But the thing is, the idea behind oh, unemployment and unemployment being bad was basically that there are people who we think should be employed, but aren't. Um, and that's kind of that's a problem that we're going to try and solve. But of course, the, 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 they can't really measure that. Now, that said, when it goes to standard of living, I really wouldn't want the government to start measuring happiness despite them trying to do so, because then that will justify them doing lots of crazy things. Not that they need any more justification than last year to do crazy things, but you never know. You don't want to give them in more help. Um, so standard of living and working out. I mean, so for example, I do think you would get firms trying to measure. I wouldn't say necessary GDP. Firms would be more interested, for instance, in sort of spending in certain areas. Although the question is, how would they get that data? Um, I mean, if you didn't have, well, I mean, the extent to which you might have public limited companies, then you get data there. But um, I don't know how easily accessible private limited company data is uh, on sales. I'm not sure. But I suppose you could calculate it from there. But I I, I think firms would be interested in a much more disaggregated uh, figure. Although related to that, though, which is I haven't really thought about for a while, is um, they might want to measure and calculate inflation and then. Know, what would be the best more, most useful way of measuring that's another question I think that would be relevant because um, well it'd be relevant for instance if you had say like pensions because you want to have uh, a real value maintained um, over time to be paid um, so you wouldn't just want to be based off your um, your contributions. Although that said, they, they could just go up and just be a proportion of the funds. So yeah, I suppose it, it could, could could go that way. No, oh, sorry. Insurance is probably a better one with that. If they pay a certain amount of money out, you might want it to go up each year. If say the life insurance is hundred thousand um, dollars, you want that to go up if there was inflation because hundred thousand dollars, like in nineteen sixty, clearly doesn't clearly buys a lot more than it does today. Um, so I do think there will be attempts at calculating it, but I. Don't think they'll necessarily calculate the same things that they uh, do here. I mean, the reason behind calculating GDP, in my mind, seems merely just be there for government tinkering with the economy. It's like, oh, no, we're in. How do we know we're in a recession unless we calculate the GDP numbers? And if we don't know that, then we don't know when we should engage in deficit spending and uh, expansionary fiscal policy and run uh, the debt down. Run deficit and borrow and spend, we wouldn't know that. Uh, and so, yeah, you know, that seems to me the major reason why it's calculated. And the same thing with all these government figures, um, th- they're calculated so that they can do things. Uh, and as Rothbard pointed out, now this I, I agree. I, 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 I think Rothbard goes a little bit far in, in his criticism of government spending to some extent here, but the um, the problem with government spending, but what is get, that gets right is um, just stop the government calculating this, these things and then they can't do anything uh, because it's just a whole technocratic approach to things, which is why they measure it. Now, all that said, and that criticism about GDP, I do think there is a possibly a, a kernel of truth in what real GDP is trying to calculate. And I think really... What real GDP attempts to measure is what I called physical power. Now, physical power, if long time listeners may remember this, you know, what is power episode, I made a distinction between uh, various um, ideas of power. And I think the one that most closely relates to the idea of economic growth is what I refer to as physical power, which is the ability to transform nature to your will. And, and this is consistent with what you were saying, Tim, about railroads and internal improvements and in dams. What you're doing there really is converting you're transforming nature to conform to your will. Now, this actually dovetails very nicely with, with the work of Alex Epstein, who you, people may know from the Center of Industrial Progress, uh, who um, is very much an advocate of, um, well, fossil fuels. But his primary po- focus is that, well, how do you increase um, human flourishing and uh, sort of standard of living is more usable energy the more energy you have the more you can convert um, the uh, the world to your will and make it a better habitation for humans uh, he has some some um, some graphs which basically say well if you look at the correlation of GDP per capita and co2 emissions well they go up hand in hand. So does life expectancy and population. The more that you have control over your physical environment, kind of the better off you are or, and the more you convert the world into, into a place where you want to be. So I, I think the idea behind it is kind of better. Real GDP is really like technology, technological development to a large extent. Well, technology and capital, I think technology is best understood as recipes and as ideas, and this is instantiated in capital, in machinery. And so, as Tyler Cowen was saying, it seems pretty obvious that the increase in sort of human power over nature uh, was radically improved between 1900 and 1950. And since 1950, not so much. Now... uh, then a way how do you measure this well an interesting you could do is you could sort of try to measure the amount of like uh kilowatt hours or some some sort of energy metric that you use per person i mean that could be an interesting sort of proxy for actual power uh, actual sort of genuine real gdp but then of course you have the problem of well as machinery becomes more efficient then you might need fewer kilowatt hours to get the same output so You've got that problem. But again, I I think really when you get to the heart of it, that's essentially what what real GDP is trying uh, to measure, how, although somewhat, um, well, very inaccurately. Um, Tim, any comments on my stuff on um, GDP, standard of living and what I think, real gdp is really in essence trying to measure
1: i'm going to give some literal inside baseball analogy here he, uh i'm not sure if I'm, I'm most people probably wear i nate silver nate silver actually got his start in um in, in fantasy baseball and baseball analysis general at baseball prospectus he used to follow baseball fairly closely and he developed. he was one of the people who developed the, the saber metrics you have heard of moneyball or those things and and i think it's a sort of similar idea and actually i realized long a while ago that baseball sort of there was a sort of sort of progressive marxist element of or Keynesian element of saber metrics and they sort of, would try to uh, and this sort of showed up in the 2011 MV, mvp debate who was the best player in baseball debate here so i think there's a certain measure in which gdp is just sort of a you know a I don't I don't like to curse on this show, but blank measuring content. and so far we're just trying to figure out which society is the richest uh, or which society is the biggest, you know has the biggest economy. So I do I do I do think you know, why do people want to calculate it? I think there's this sort of you know, um people just want to describe it in the same way people want to know which is the best, you know, I think NFL and soccer have tried to do the same thing, but baseball's probably the most mechanical of the sports, so it's probably the easiest to do um um and actually that's where Nate Silver got his start in, in analyzing elections actually Nassim Taleb who's a proto-Austrian in some ways um that's I, I found that, 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 that actually one of my inroads into politics was was this um here uh uh so I I would say in the same way that you're trying to figure out well the criticism of those things are like well this guy is a good in the clubhouse or this guy is you know he has some intangible quality you know he doesn't or he, you know, it's not calculated by merely, you know, he gets on base or something like that. So so I think a lot of the same criticisms against one statistic metric could be also applied to the GDP. It's sort of a one all-purpose metric here that could be thrown at um, things. And, of course, then they develop other metrics. You say, well, they have different uh, uh, numbers here. Real GDP, inflation-adjusted GDP, inflation-adjusted over time, I think. I think there's a lot of... Different numbers they could throw at you, so I do think there is a desire to just measure things for the sake of measuring things. In this regard, I'm I'm less of a doctrinaire. I don't, I don't say this too as a, a a criticism. I'm less of a doctrinaire libertarian than than well you and Rothbard in that regard. I would more side with David Friedman here that you know for now the state people don't view the state as a criminal organization. So when the state, I mean, there are there are people that don't want to fill out census forms in the United States. And actually now I sort of sympathize with them. Um, um, but that was only up until like, I used two years ago, I would have thought, eh, so what? They want to know how many people are in your household. But now I sort of understand that since the last two years, uh, like why there are people who are census holdouts, for example. Um, 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 and I think I think I think even certain groups like the. If I remember correctly, certain Quakers or Amish, if I remember a subheading once, uh, didn't want to be counted because they, they thought it was for the draft. And I, they're probably correct about this. Um, so there, there is an impetuous for the government to want to count things so they can control them. Um, um, but that's just sh- sort of the way it is here. Um, but thing, I, I, I'm more sympathetic to the idea that the government could, in theory, promote economic growth um, than, than the Austrians. Like – uh, this is where he, there, there is a book, and I think I think this has to be discussed, the entrepreneurial state. Um and I think the only argument against is a counterfactual argument that suggests that actually the state's killing, like even though even though Werner Ron Braun and developed the rockets, um, do you think it was worth the cost? And this is I think the really Ben Burgess brought this up once on one of his podcasts. Um, the guy brought up the entrepreneurial state book argument. Um, They said, like, you know, all like this, the NASA and it's created all this sort of technology here. And it was all military purpose. And it's like, yeah, it's all military purpose. And it got repurposed to that. Um, Now, this, this 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 becomes a very interesting thing here, where the thing that the thing the part of the state and this is what's interesting about the state today is you talk about energy here in the United States. The Biden regime was, I think, trying to shut down Texas's Oil production, they delayed it by five years. Um, so the state actually the historical states might have were, were trying to promote coal extraction, promote oil production. But the current state, for example, is actually trying to shut it down. Um, so they're trying to shut down oil and coal production in the United States. Um, I, I, I think they're much further along in Britain and places like that. Uh, so in a way, in a way, you can have a sort of the dock nail aversion against the state or you have a more pragmatic well the current existing state is just sort of stupid and is trying to make us actually a lower standard deliver by by forcing us to use renewables which for now don't seem economically beneficial although of course you could go down the kevin carson in rabbit hole as well and you could wind up with the same solution so like there's sort of weird coalitions of fools like solar panels People who want to live off the grid, like solar panels. So there are weird coalitions here that some won't develop. But I would say for now, the state is sort of trying to sabotage the economic uh, standard of living. That's my long-winded response to your to your question here. I do think Rothbard is correct. The state wants to count things to so control things. Uh, it'd be better not to count things. But people like counting things. It's 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 what people do here. I mean, we could go back to our dozen numbers exist episode, but um, that's just. I, I think that's just going to happen. Uh, uh, that's that'd be my response there. Sorry for the long-winded response.
0: No, I I, I suppose your response. I'd, I'd I'd rather the autists count things and psychopaths. Uh, i suppose that would be my response to uh <laughs> counting of things
1: oh you would but, oh the baseball sabermetrics crowd is just full of autistic people i mean that's <laughs> it's just that's all oh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> but we I mean, get them to count
0: stuff not psychos not not uh, justin um castro or um what we, yeah, justin castro or fidel uh, trudeau depending how you want to go with that um so but but i Maybe I was unclear before. I, I don't think I do think Rothbard goes a little far into completely discounting all good of sort of like government spending, because I mean some government spending um, can be useful and and, and it, it does contribute to um, and it does contribute to sort of standard of living in a way. And you know the government built dams or power stations and stuff. It's increasing man's mastery over the earth. That's true. It's kind of the opportunity cost point, which is kind of the major one, and is like well, whether or not they're doing it better or worse than the private sector would. Um, now, mm-hmm. of course, you could make the claim that well, um, the private sector would never produce all this stuff, say, for instance, in wartime, and so um, overall, sort of standard living is higher because of all these of. Uh, um, technologies created for military purposes. I mean, I suppose that, that is, I suppose, possible, but I mean, how many... Now, I may be just ignorant on this point. I, most of the uh, benefits from sort of military technology seem to be like relatively old. I mean, they don't seem to be particularly recent ones. I suppose you make the argument with GPS. But mentioning a GPS, though, it required a lot of... And this is a case, I think, a lot of the time from the arguments I've come across for justification of government spending on R&D in military uh, times for sort of propelling growth is it actually obvious this military tech needed significant modification for, for the civilian market. So to what extent it is like a military technology at that point is another question. Um, so
1: I, am. I a quick button here the argument, the entrepreneurial state argument is interesting because it's like the part of the state that the sort of focuses left would hate the most is the very part of the state, that is the most entrepreneurial. Paradoxically, it's the Pentagon. Like it's it's the part of the state that it's like, you know, it's 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 not, you know. And actually, David Graeber would try to make this argument to say that the reason why there's no things to clean toilets and you still have people cleaning toilets manually is the state hasn't developed a job to do that. Now that that would be, that's a sort of like opportunity costs are we actually need to re, re develop resources to do those things. But there's no there's never a we. This is the anarchist point. There's never a we. The state's just a robber gang. So the state the state will always invest in military and security because that's that's what the state is in practice. It's not like a beneficial charity here. But that's goes off in the minarchist Anarchist weeds. I don't want to go too far there. But keep going. No that makes sense. Uh um
0: but you, you you're right though. I mean uh, would they? De- it's not just whether the private sector produce the exact same technology with better, but they just produce something entirely different. And the question is, you know, what is required? Now, I mean, you could go to the anarchist minicus thing. You could say, well, um, you know, you make the public goods argument, the, the private sector won't produce um, enough military defense. And so, therefore, you know, the socially optimal level of sort of uh, weaponry, etc., is going to be created by the state. And so you can make a defense that way. Um, although it does seem interesting though with the state when it produces military uh, hardware is it wants to increase its uh, its supply of military hardware and reduce its population's access to military hardware at the same time. So to me it's not immediately obvious which one's going to have the most um, um, in, in that respect. Um, I think you're right though as well that if you had sort of like the mold buggy in government, uh, you could make an argument that it was genuinely trying to help standard of living because I mean, a lot of government policy now, especially the environmental stuff, clearly is not that a standard of living, really. Unless you're somebody who, well, even if you buy into catas- a catastrophic uh, global warming, spending all the money, so for instance, in England. Uh, They're trying to ban petrol and diesel, new petrol and diesel car sales by 2030. And all new houses now are now going to have to have charging points. When they had the lockdown in 2020, world CO2 emissions only fell by 7 percent. And that was mostly transport. So what you're doing is you have the government's trying to really promote electric cars because somehow this is going to reduce CO2 emissions. When it's only 7 percent of the world's CO2 emissions. It would seem to be making very very little sense if the goal was to overall reduce CO2 emissions to prevent global warming. So I think you're exactly right. I mean, you, you we have now governments that don't have the goal really of increasing standard living of people. I mean that's certainly true. I think they, I, I think well maybe correction. it was always the case.
1: The Chinese government has the Chinese government and the Russian government are spending lots on natural resources. And resource extraction. So I will say there are some governments. Interestingly, um, that so, that.
0: I'm being parochial. I'm meaning the Western governments. But yes, that's um, that that's fair. Yes, Certainly with the, uh, the Chinese. I mean, you can say the Chinese have a bad policy, but they uh, they certainly do seem to have the goal of making China great again, uh, which in part means that the population is richer. I think Peter Zian was saying that they really are trying to move move away from. Uh, being f- heavily reliant on exports to be able to increase domestic consumption, to increase standard of living. Because currently in China, a lot of their <laughs> GDP uh, comes from exports uh, primarily to the US uh, and other countries, which is done by um, keeping the value of the yuan low to make imports as uh, uh, so exports to the West, West cheaper, which of course means that imports from outside of China for the Chinese consumer is more expensive. Um, so you have that kind of trade-off. But, to go back to the entrepreneurial say, I mean the opportunity cost and the trade-off thing is 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 crucial uh, here. I mean, it, yeah, okay, it's a counterfactual, but I think it's a counterfactual. you have uh, a justification in thinking that actually the government would be worse at doing this in the private sector. Who would you rather have an organization that can devolve its costs onto other people uh, and and have generally relatively little knowledge about the areas which they're investing in relative to people who actively engage in a particular area know who the customer are are is sorry know what they want and will make more profits if they um uh, do well and provide what consumers want or lose lots of money if they don't i'm pretty sure we have at least an a priori assumption that the private organization uh, or voluntary organization, I'm using them synonymously in this case. Although to be fair, the charitable organization, the voluntary won't necessarily make losses in the same way. Um but insofar as they have a goal of trying to serve people and they could have well again we could have a more a, a general discussion on on sort of um in the future on on measurement of anything. Because it's an interesting question of you know how do charities measure how well they're doing because half of the charities these days seem to be like quasi government organizations run by people who would otherwise be in your hr department um so it's um
1: here i'll cut in here um the 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 charity point like how do you measure anything is 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 probably the question uh, the question itself how do you measure anything in particularly something as subjective as standard value and uh, probably the philosophical a prior answers you can't measure it so it's a sort of folly um it's a folly to try to measure it so you, sh- you shouldn't measure it but again i i i think i think there are benefits to measuring things like you know knowing the length knowing how many people are in a given area um in our city i i think people do that for um uh for you can do it for it could be all nefarious reasons or or there could be non-nefarious reasons too um so 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 GDP, I think you could end up with city GDP. You know, you like which city-state has the most um, things. So, in terms of, and your point about the Moldbugian state that sort of actually tries to do it, I, I think a lot of quote-unquote right-wing anarchists would have a lot harder time justifying um, their anarchism if the state engaged in certain activities they like instead of engaging in sabotage. Um, um, and I think that would be true. I think I think that would be entirely the case. Um, but it's it still I, I still if if the, the state might be entrepreneurial in a sense by building dams, roads and so forth. But there's always sort of a paradox insofar as, um, you know, what are the externalities here? And this is where this is where the weirdest where you have the sort of Marxist military Keynesian coalition here, uh, which is sort of a weird dark side of the moon tag team that, um, you know, it's like a professional wrestler tag team but, that that in theory, makes no sense, but in practice, does a lot of damage, um, um, where, you know, they'll talk a sort of progressive game, and then they'll bring in the sort of the neoliberals, um, um, who, you know, they're sort of like welfare state capitalists in that regard. They just use the state to prop up its own corporations here, which leads to recessions here, which is the business cycle, which is the Austrians. And Mises figured that out years ago. I think Manker actually figured out even longer though although i'm not i'm not i'm not precise up with the weeds of all the debates with intra-austrian so so i do i do think the you know the the question the premise is sort of phony like what's the austrian alternative to the economic um uh, stimulus here but i i do think i do think you can, i do think for example like measuring the distance it takes Labor hours to go from, like, New York City to Chicago, for example. I think Matt Ridley tried to do this. But, see, you can get weird answers, which some progressives don't like. Like, it might have been cheaper in 1900 to take a Pennsylvania railroad train from New York City to Chicago than it is in labor hours now, although it's that's very hard to calculate. It may have been cheaper. For example, I think the trains in Europe are still slower in certain parts of Europe than they were in, like, the 30s. I think that don't quote me on that. Um, um, this is one of the with of jokes that run that go that go both ways in a way. Um, so like you could try to generate like lamp hours, like how long is to power a lamp, which goes back to your power. I think Matt Ridley has tried to sort of think about that in his Rational Optimists, which is a very interesting book about it's about how prosperity involves. He says that prosperity is increased, which sort of contra Tyler Cowens and some of the paleocons to say that prosperity has gone human flourishing has gone down in a way uh i mean more people have running water i think um um and i think more people have like access to certain technologies um but you know i it's it's a very subjective thing it's a very subjective thing you might not be able to measure it and and if you could you could be only doing it for nefarious reasons which i agree the state is probably doing it for nefarious reasons Yeah, I mean, one of my final points here, I mean, when it comes to sort
0: of measuring standard of living, probably one of the most innovative measures uh, I I came across was um, David Friedman in his debate with Richard Wolff on socialism. He basically said, well, the best way to measure, because I think Richard Wolff was defending East Germany on its GDP increase or something. And David Friedman said, well, that's a useless way of measuring stuff. What you should measure is basically emigration and immigration figures. If people leave your country, it's rubbish. We didn't actually say that, but that's basically my People leave your country. They don't like it. And it's a bad place to live. And if people want to move to your country, it's a good place to live. Now, the obvious problem with this is it's only a comparative measure, not an absolute measure, Um, but has an intriguing logic to it. That said, of course, it kind of assumes that you, in a sense, have open borders because certain places which do well may not Supposing that you did have a genuine sort of hoppy and covenant community and they didn't let people in, then, of course, the fact that their immigration was zero or very low uh, wouldn't necessarily imply it was a
1: bad place to live. So there are, are problems with that. Although, also, also the Contra Friedman here, also the Chomskyites and the uh, Blumenthal's and the Greenwald's would probably say, well, Mexico's a dump because the U.S. has set up like and Venezuela, they've set up coups. and Drug wars and things like that. They would also make those arguments. They well, they have to leave because they can't be sovereign And that. Sense. that's oh, that's no. also a favorable argument. Same way with Syria, you could say like you know, that's the reason it's dumb. But that's my that's my sorry for. It.
0: Oh yeah, you could certainly make that case. Yeah, yeah. Um, but 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 it would but irrespective of that, it would still be a bad place to live. Um, so it, it is it is kind of very difficult. Uh, I I think as I mentioned before skin in the game and knowledge and just if people decide to I I, I suppose this is one of the arguments for sort of like a sort of like a pan anarchist which is really in a sense the freedom position is that well you can go to the community you want to live in and the extent to which you live by the rules of the community and they accept you and you stay there, but you have a lot of other options. You can go elsewhere. The fact that you remain there probably indicates it's probably quite a good place to be. um So it, I think it's a very difficult thing to measure. And you were saying about the paleocons. I mean, when you get the standard of living, I mean, you can look at like running water, the internet, and stuff. But again, it depends what you want to measure. I remember. Um, uh, Sean Gabb sort of like making being sort of skeptical of the economic developments in the 70s, I mean pre- predominantly in the context of well, a single wage earner can't really purchase a house and like support wife and kids in the same way they were able to do in the 1970s. Then, of course, you know, it depends on what you think is valuable. And this is what I was saying before.
1: Sorry, trying to cut in. Although, to be no. fair, although, to be fair, you could argue that. So, like, take an example. There's a this is another interesting coalition. There's a book called, I think, "The Business of Birth" or something like that. And it says that the cost of having a pregnancy is like more expensive than ever in a Western country, at least in the United States. Um, but then again, the well, it's complicated here. But it's probably safer than ever, probably, probably, in the sense that if there are complications, exists the child's unlikely to die. But this goes back to the old. I love this sort of debate here. You have these boxes you can keep prenatal, like. 22 week old children I think to the record or something and it's really expensive but you can do it and the sort of economist in me this is why economist called the dismal science thinks you know Ayn Rand makes this point in a backhanded way with, with, edu- with special education um, uh, you know is this worth putting all these resources into things like that so it could be that what Sean Gab is measuring is it's just more expensive to have children literally Like universities are much more education is much more. So, again, it's 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 very complicated measuring standards of living. I I, I think it's a it's a very much an enigma. So sorry to keep interrupting there. But I think. No, no, I know.
0: I I, I agree entirely. I mean, it is a very difficult thing to measure. uh, And that's kind of the 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 point. But I I, I think to a large extent you're going to have these largely sort of subjective. that doesn't necessarily mean they're without value kind of ideas uh, which are going to underlie um, whether or not you think things are getting better or things are getting worse mean this goes back to some of our old episodes you know uh, is is you know uh, is the world better or worse than it was 30 years ago for instance um so again it's it it's it's not obvious Again, just to just finish a final comment here, when it comes to opportunity cost, um, one thing is kind of annoying. You're saying people want to count things, but there's vast government departments that are just there to count stuff. It's like, I'm pretty sure you could be doing a more useful job. And if you wanted to count in your spare time and produce YouTube videos, you could. Um, but otherwise, do something more useful. <laughs> uh, I suppose that would be my sort of um, uh, final uh, comment here. Too many final um, comments.
1: No it's just it's just the it's like a Monty Python joke. it's such a bureau of counting like you're just counting different things um yeah it's it's probably mostly nefarious and for nefarious reasons um so yeah, don't fill out um census forms or <laughs> things like that or um or other or other government surveys so but but people but people want to do it and people want to figure out, you know, which is the most productive country in the world. I th- I think that is actually somewhat the sort of where the GDP comes from. I look at it. I think it's an interesting number to at least look at it. But your critiques of it are quite interesting. And I, I and I agree entirely with it. great, great opening um, critique here. I've never actually heard of that. Um, and I said some of my suspicions were actually answered. Thanks for doing that. Very interesting.
0: Thank you. for, uh, Thank you for being on the show again, because you're not normally on the show. Anyway, now I just want to thank everyone for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your uh, friends and family or anybody you think would uh, find it of interest. And please subscribe to us on Podbean on YouTube. The more subscribers we get, the higher we get in the search rankings and the more people can access this material. If you'd like to contact the show for any reason, please contact us at mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com. That's mindcrimelibertyshow at gmail.com.